Welcome back or welcome to Grateful and Full of Greatness. I'm your host, Mark Glassini. On this podcast, I sit down with guests who, in my opinion, live their lives with the pursuit of greatness in mind. This platform allows me to discuss and explain strategies that go into reaching peak performance. This is episode 53. My guest is Jay Dyer. Jay is the head strength and conditioning coach for Team USA men's and women's national teams. For over two decades, he has worked with the Johns Hopkins men's lacrosse team and has been the director of sports performance at MedStar Health. Along with being a certified strength and conditioning specialist, Jay is a devoted husband and father of two kids. Owner and operator of Jay Dyer Strength and Conditioning, Jay brings a degree in exercise science and over 20 years of experience with United States' best lacrosse players in the world to help athletes become more agile, durable, and powerful. Jay's reputation in the lacrosse world is impeccable, and that's why I wanted to have him on here today. Um, and the results that he gets with professional athletes, world champions, and America's elite, elite collegiate teams speak for themselves. In this episode, we will hear about Jay's philosophy from the field to the weight room and life outside the gym. Without further ado, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. Mark, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I, uh, as I was preparing for this, I was listening to you on another uh, great podcast, and I heard um, you come up, you know, from uh, intern all the way to the trusted authority that you are now. But I would like to even go before internship um, and kind of, did you always have this fire for the weight room? Uh, was it something that you got involved in in the high school or even earlier before that? Uh, so, yeah, when I first got into the weight room, I wouldn't say I had, uh, much of a fire, uh, for it. I was, uh, basically asking, uh, a guy I went to high school that had some experience to drag me in there with him, And, uh, you know, probably your typical, like, uh, 15, 16 year old male experience, like, you know, put too much weight on the bar, crushed my chest, he was just standing above me going, you got this, you got this. And I'm like, I, I don't think I've got it. I think it's, I think it's just stuck here right now. So, um, you know, I think that was, you know, kind of the introduction of, uh, in the weight room, you're always going to find or run into somebody eventually who is, uh, stronger than you, maybe has a little more knowledge than you, uh, can, give you little pieces of advice that you can take with you, whether it's um, the actual programming aspect or the mental approach, or again, just different modalities and different approaches uh, to training. So uh, most of the time after that, I uh, sat in, you know, my mom's basement with like an old Sears Roebuck uh, weightlifting, uh, set where uh for people that are too young to remember that they're just plastic plates filled with sand um it's actually one of my spotify playlists uh sears roebuck uh barbell weight set uh so it's just all songs from the glory days of lifting in mom's basement um no one appreciates that playlist just me i think uh based on the taste um so but yeah, I think that was my introduction to being a high school athlete and that there was always a little bit more that you could do, whether it was uh, practicing for your sport or getting in and lifting weights, um, you know, and that thread kind of continued uh, as I 
went to camps and things like that. And just hearing to hearing your coaches or your instructors or the owners of camps, you know, explaining kind of the a progression of what you need to do outside of, you know, what you just see uh, on game days. So. Outstanding. I, what, what I really pulled from that answer and I, I thought about this um, in preparing for our, our session here today is you bring up the glory days and, you know, when it comes to the world of strength, speed and conditioning, obviously there's been an evolution there and right. Bringing the tradition of how things were, uh, 20 years ago, and also the tip of the spear information, you seem to do both really, really well. How do you handle kind of the traditional aspects of strength and conditioning with the new information that comes out day to day? So I think you, uh, you have to have a little bit of a split personality, right? Like there's got to be a little bit of meathead in there somewhere. Uh, you know, because again, you know, I, I think, some strength coaches, you know, cringe at that idea, but, uh, there is, you know, the concept of getting in and having, uh, you know, a work day where you, uh, overreach a little bit, you know, and then there's also the science behind that, that if you do have a day like that, that there is a certain amount of recovery that comes along with that, that, uh, you know, being able to attribute strength to the field, uh, you know, again, there's kind of, weight room strength and there's, you know, just what, you know, I guess what you would call maximal strength and then taking that maximal strength and being able to put it on the field means more power, more high velocity, uh, type movements, um, where, where again, you just can't be moving weights slow and controlled and expect that to have translation to on field performance. So, uh, I, again, like to your point, uh, there's so much information out there now, and there are so many uh, people just dropping tidbits on social media or YouTube or whatever that you can uh, really kind of go shopping, so to speak, and and pluck little pieces of information. Uh, and, you know, I think everything that I'm doing is still rooted some way in what I was doing when I first started. And then you uh, you have to make adjustments, again, based on what you see in front of you. The, the athletes will always dictate, you know, the kind of the final structure of your program. You can sit there and, and make the framework, and you might find yourself uh, modifying that framework, scrapping it completely. I mean, the athletes will, will show you what they need and, and kind of, you know, what they're already proficient at. The idea that comes to mind, Jay, is that, uh, you know, nobody will work as hard as you towards the goals you set for them. And I love how you have that aspect of listening to the athletes on the sports psychology front. If I'm working with a client, I can't say this is what we're doing today. You know, this is what you should care about, right? It has to be a lot of listening. And I think that gets lost in the translation of coaching. Um, at least uh, many people take that managerial aspect to that heart. There is that aspect of, I guess how you put it, a little bit of meathead. This is what we're doing. Uh, grind through it, grind through it. But then it's also that that listening aspect that I think gets gets lost is that something that you would agree with yeah I mean I think uh I think most coaches should intuitively uh know that listening is a huge part of it uh because your plan can't be executed without the athlete 
having the buy-in or the energy or the ability to do it. So if you're not listening to what they're saying and you're hoping you're hoping that your athletes in turn are listening to what their body is telling them uh, and relaying that information to you, then I just don't know if you can uh, be effective uh, from a coaching standpoint or get the results you're looking for. Um, Because again, I do think there are certain things where you have to just put your foot down and be like, we have to do this because, you know, you're now you're going to make me say it. You're horrendous at this, you know? So it's like, this is why it's important. (laughs) Right. Um, and, And again, I think if you are just continually like transparent and honest with them that if you do drop the hammer, so to speak, like they're not going to take it personally. It's just because I've told you, you've done these things. Well, this is not something you do. Well, we have to fix that. And taking that idea from the individual to the team, the way I, I look at it is the team needs the individual personalities and at the same time, standards of how they do things there, right? And you got to have a, a nice blend uh, of both. I I was captivated when I was listening to your story uh, because I could really resonate with when you were first starting out and getting into the field. Uh, I love the story, and I hope you'll share it now of where you just showed up at that field um, and, and you wanted you wanted the job. And I think there for young listeners out there. Um, that are either high school student athletes, college student athletes, or those about to go out, out into their professional career, I want them to hear that story. So could you share a little bit about you just showing up uh, and, and, and demanding a job? Yeah. So uh, Dan Ross is, you know, I would, will forever put him as one of my mentors and someone I'm thankful that I uh, was able to interact with. So uh, I'd reached out to him. He was the strength coach at Loyola College at the time. That's what it was called. Uh, now it's Loyola University, Maryland. Um, and I told him I was looking for an internship in strength and conditioning. I wanted to work with him because I knew like it was uh, that the lacrosse team was kind of in their preparation period in the fall and everything. And that was the sport I was most interested in, you know, kind of learning more of how to prepare for it, how to train for it. Um, you know, that week was kind of busy for them. They had, uh, a fall ball tournament that was taking place at St. Paul's school. They used to have lacrosse for leukemia. It was a big fundraiser, tons of teams there. Um, so when he said he had a tournament and he would get back to me next week, I said, well, where's the tournament? And he told me, and I was like, okay, I know how to, where that is. So that Saturday I, I drove over to the field. Uh, waited for Loyola to finish one of their games, walked straight up to, to coach Ross and said, uh, Hey coach, I'm Jay Dyer. I talked to you on the phone the other day about an internship. I'm here to, uh, you know, nail that down basically. Uh, and he just kind of looked at me like, you know, you've got to be kidding, right? Like, I can't believe you just walked up to me. Like that was kind of like that smirk on his face. Like, I guess you were serious. So we talked and I was like, yeah, I want to start next week, not talk about it next week. And uh, he walked me up to uh, Joe Boylan, who was the AD at the time, um, and basically said, you know, Joe, this is Jay. Jay's, you know, actually showed up to follow up about an internship opportunity. Are you okay with me bringing him on? And he just kind of gave the blessing right there. And, you know, that next week I was with Coach Ross 
standing on his hip for a day or so. And then the next time we went in the weight room, he was like, he broke up the team somehow, right? Like probably a little bit blurry now on the details, but it was, you know, it was kind of like the A through M you're with me, everybody else you're with Jay. And I just kind of was like, huh? I'm like, uh, okay. So now you are in this position where you have zero confidence, uh, you know, in, in that situation. Cause you've never been in it before. So I'm sitting there going, well, you better fake it. Uh, so I tried to say the least amount of things possible. Tried to just focus on what the guys were doing, making sure I didn't screw up the prescription, make sure coach Ross didn't come up from behind me. He's a large man, you know, and like <laughs> put his uh, hand around my throat and be like, what are you doing? You know? So um, and then from there, you know, again, it was just, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, coach Ross again was pivotal in me getting the job at Johns Hopkins. When coach Petro was hired, he called Dan Ross and said, I need a strength coach, you know, give me a name. And he, coach Ross said, you want to contact Jay? Uh, you know, and he kind of gave coach like the heads up. Cause at that point he was like, well, he's, he's pretty young and he looks young, you know, so, uh, be prepared. Right. So mm. I, I walked in and talked to coach Petro for about 30 minutes. Uh, when we were done, he said, well, Dan Ross said, you're my guy. You're the only person I'm interviewing. So I need to know by tomorrow if you want the job. So again, without, you know, Dan Ross, uh, I, you know, that's, that's such a huge keystone in my, in my career, um, him taking a chance on me. When I was sitting in at a graduate of sports psychology class uh, underneath Dr. Rob Gilbert, he shared with me early on that one third of Nobel prize winners have mentors who also won a Nobel prize. And I thought that was just an amazing thing. Uh, the coaching tree, the mentor tree, role models, right? Success leaves clues in that way. Uh, what I took away from what you gave us there is three things. There's something that I'm always sharing with people who I don't want to say lacking confidence, but they're uh, right there at that threshold and they haven't kicked the door down yet. And that is in order to become a master, you have to first risk being a fool. Right? There's no mastery without being foolish first. And once you understand that, then you can fumble through your words and scrape your knee and, and do it poorly before you start getting the reps to do it uh, in the right way. I have one more thing before I ask you a question about the mentality that went into you showing up at that field. I love the empowerment that Dan gave you right away, right? You know, that, that, that he could have just took a like I said earlier in this podcast already, a managerial style and you should do this and blah, blah, blah. But he just gave you the freedom to work with athletes right from the jump. I just love that part of the story. And then I want to ask you about the mentality. What do you think it was that allowed you to go and show up at that field? Was there somebody who taught you to approach life like that? Do you think it was more genetic and in the natural temperament that you had? What would you point to? Uh, I am pretty stubborn. I would say. So, uh, when he said on the phone, we'll talk next week. Uh, I was like, talk next week. Are you joking? Right? Like, no, like I'm, you know, and I, I just remember like, you know, telling my, you know, who was going, my wife at the time, I was like, I'm just driving over there. I'm like, what's he going to do? Like the worst thing he can do is say, why are you here? Like, I can't talk to you right now. I told you next week. And I was just like, you know, I, I think uh, I can be 
pretty stubborn uh, and pretty hard headed and pretty, uh, I guess, impulsive initially before I have a, a chance to sit back and think. Um, I, I do think that's one of my biggest faults that uh, I tried to have work on in my career. And uh, it's not going great. But, uh, you know, I just if I hear something, I'll be like, uh, that's not true. Oh, that's, you know, that's dumb. Oh, that's, and then I'll like get my car and drive around or whatever for 20 minutes and be like, ah, I could see where they're coming from. All right. Mm. You know? And Mm. it's just like, it just takes me, uh, a minute to strip down my biases and actually, uh, put some thought in, into things. So, um, I think, you know, again, like you're saying, I think that's a little bit of a product of being from a single parent family and being uh, a latchkey kid and fending for yourself a lot. And, you know, basically, uh, you know, when you make a decision to do something, you know, like at that moment, you're just going to have to do it. So do you mind talking a little bit more about that, uh, about that upbringing that had such a big influence on on the stubbornness or impulsivity or, or the better or the worse that comes from that? Well, I mean, the, the background is, you know, I mean, my parents were divorced. My mom, you know, was working multiple jobs, you know, so like getting home from school and, you know, letting yourself into the house and getting stuff, you know, kind of going. And as you get older, you're, you know, maybe making yourself like uh dinner or something before a game, because she's not going to be home before that. Um, she always, makes it to the game, but maybe not there for like, you know, pregame meal or anything like that. Um, but you know, I, again, I think, uh, it, it's funny cause, uh, there'll be times where she'll say to me, she's like, I think you work too much. And I just laugh. And I was like, who the hell you think I learned that from, you know? Right. Mm, so, yeah. um, it's, you know, I think that's where it comes from is seeing her, uh, do whatever it takes to, you know, support my sister and I, uh, when we were growing up. So, but again, I think the stubbornness is, um, I think it's a little bit embedded in my mom's side of the family. So, uh, I think, again, we have a lot of people on that side with big personalities, uh, which means they can be stubborn, but also when they're ready to have a good time, they have a good time. So it's like Mm -hmm. both ends of the spectrum. (laughs) Two of the key takeaways that I have taken from studying and learning about personality psychology is that the types of problems that you have in your life are correlated with your personality type. So yes, like the, you know, somebody who's a little bit more extrovert might be talking over people and somebody who's a little bit more introverted might have a little bit of struggles with communicating. And the other thing is uh, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. So when I hear that story, I see not just stubbornness, but self-reliance, which could actually be a really great thing, you know, to prepare your meal and get you your, yourself squared away for the game, right? So there's upsides and downsides and, and working through that uh, from a, taking the dance perspective of how am I going to evolve as a human being along the way? I think that's why uh, in many parts of why I started having these conversations with such great people, because at the end of the day, they're human. Right. And, and they've achieved a really remarkable things. But over the hour conversation, there, there's something parts about their story that are just like everybody else. And that's why I wanted to ask you a little bit about your upbringing a little bit more, because I know that that part really re- resonated with somebody that's going to listen to this. One point that I wanted to make about um, you showing up at that field is is um, 
asking yourself this question when we have to go through a big decision is what's the worst that can happen and can I live with that? What's the worst that can happen and can I live with that? And what's the worst that could have happened? You told, shoot you away? Could you live with yeah. that? Absolutely guaranteed. Listening to uh, you on Greg Renlian's podcast, I heard you say, um, my expectation should not exceed yours. I wrote it down. I absolutely loved it. Um, could you talk about how that translates into your philosophy in the weight room with your athletes? Uh, I think, you know, from that standpoint, it's, um, you know, every time they come in to train, uh, my expectation for them is that they see potential, right? Because that's what I see. So that's really what that comes down to is, right? Like, I don't think that um, most of the athletes that I come in contact with have hit their ceiling yet. So there's always potential to make yourself better to, um, you know, whether it's physically, mentally, whether it's, you know, if you're somebody that doesn't do a good job with recovery, you can always work harder at that, at making that part of your, you know, development. Um, but, but again, I think, uh, one of the reasons why those athletes again, walk through the door is because they're trying to, uh, better themselves. Right. And they're trying to better themselves so that their product on the field is better. So, um, I, I'm always, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, always holding out hope that the light bulb is going to turn on at some point, whether it's, uh, you know, for a particular kind of work ethic, a uh, particular kind of skill development. Um, you know, again, I think uh, you can see this in athletes, um, whether it's, you know, a freshman in college to their senior year in college, the growth there uh, is incredible. If you look at people that have been on national teams multiple times, the way that they grow and change as they become more experienced. Um, again, I think uh, you can see it, you know, with, with athletes at every age that as long as they continue to push themselves and continue to be consistent and dedicated, that that's going to create uh, other types of behaviors. So those are the kids that uh, maybe as a freshman, when you see them, you think there's no possible way or there's a long shot that this kid would ever be a captain and then all of a sudden by the time they're a senior they are a captain which means so much from a standpoint of how their teammates view them um and actually the growth that they've they've undergone during that four-year period so um i'm always you know kind of amazed by that when you see somebody when they're you know, maybe young and a little bit green and still a little bit immature or maybe insecure in who they are and how they fit in the team and then how they they grow and become an integral part of that and then become a leader of that team. So again, expectations. I mean, when I'm when I'm showing up to work with a team or an individual or whatever, like I have certain expectations for myself and certain expectations for them. Uh, and, you know, that should be a synergistic, uh, you know, time 
where everybody's, you know, kind of meeting their expectations in regards to you expect a certain level of performance from me in regards to uh, teaching, coaching, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And I have a certain expectation of you for your your energy, your focus, your execution, your ability to to bring that out of other people. Um, you know, again, I think something that I want to try and uh, accomplish on a daily basis is get the athletes to coach themselves and coach their mm. teammates. I, I can't sit there and, you know, it, I think it would, it's such like a, an ego thing. If you think you have to hold their hand all the time and lead them through that, they couldn't possibly do it without you. Right. I think that I could pick, you know, a group of guys uh, in a particular team and say, I'm just going to watch today. You lead the workout. And if they aren't mm. capable of doing that, then I've done a terrible job in regards to actually coaching them because they should understand the why they're doing something and the how they're doing something and then be able to express that to someone else even if it's in the weirdest terminology that you ever heard and you know if you said that in an exercise phys class they would have no idea what you're talking about but it made sense to their teammates that's kind of the the goal again that's an expectation too like you can't just show up and lift weights you can't just show up and run sprints you have to be able to pick things out of what you're doing, what you see your teammates doing and make suggestions, make adjustments or at least get it started. <laughs> I, I think the, 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 the true leader's ultimate goal has to be the, the group of individuals. And I'm paraphrasing from uh, a quote where the, the team says we've done it ourselves, right? Rather than we, we didn't need the leader. And I think that's a true leader's ultimate goal if you're doing it the right way. It's like more, more of a question or conversation about humility over ego. Uh, what came to mind right from the beginning of your answer, how you said that you see the potential in them. Uh, I had this, uh, one of my best buddies, he's a top 1% Ironman athlete. And he shared this idea with me that Abe Lincoln once said, which said, I had a best friend who believed in me and I didn't have the heart to let him down. And I love that you instill that belief in the players right away. And they're so, so important, you know, taking a sports psychology approach, it's called the Pygmalion effect. So the beliefs and actions you have about others, they start to cultivate those beliefs and actions about themselves. And it becomes a positive feedback loop, which is a really amazing thing. I do want to ask you a question about it though. And that would be, I've heard different philosophies such as, and I'm going on the thread that you gave us, um, holding out hope, holding out hope that they'll, 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 they'll pick up. How do you know when to move on uh, because you're just spinning your wheels with some individuals versus hold out that hope? Because what I've heard is that it's sometimes better to squeeze the most out of the people that actually want more rather than trying to save them all. So what would you say about that? Um, I think it takes a really long time for me to, to dismiss the idea that you're not savable, you know, so to speak. So, um, and that just comes from, uh, personal experiences with athletes, you know, again, like one year 
if you're with them for four years or eight years or 12 years, whatever it may be, they, they're likely, you know, there's going to be athletes you work with. It's likely that one of those years is a wash, you know, you got nothing out of them. They didn't want to give you anything, you know, you slam your head against the wall. Okay. But then all of a sudden, you know, the next year for whatever it is, whatever happened, they've had, you know, again, kind of that epiphany of this person has been trying to help me. Maybe I should start listening. Maybe I should start enacting some of the things that they're doing. Um, I, I, again, I think there's, there's always the, the potential for that. I can think of a number of athletes that, you know, whether it's at Hopkins or whether it's at other schools where they don't see any playing time for three years and all of a sudden their senior year, they're such a huge part of the overall picture of a team. Like there, there had to be something in there, you know, that, kept them going to get to that point. So, uh, I think, I think for me, it would take an athlete kind of saying I'm done with you before most of the time before I would say I'm done with them. Yeah. I mean, I want to stay on the thread of your personal experience because, uh, I, I, it's no fluke that, that the reason why you've been doing it at such a high level for such a long time has because of the results that you get with athletes and teams. So, I guess what I'd love to ask about uh, coaches that have sustained excellence for a very long time, what are your main repeated messages, right? So you have these go-to ones that you're using with your athletes or with the team. Tell me about uh, Jay Dyer-isms, if you will. Oh, those are, I think you'd have to bleep them all out. <laughs> Everyone? And most of them, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, uh, no, I think, uh, you know, one that I kind of uh, stuck to for a long time, you know, as long as I can remember is I would always tell the athletes hard work pays off. Right now, your interpretation of what that means, uh, you know, again, can be skewed. Some people think hard work pays off means that uh, I get a ton of playing time or whatever. And I, it's not, that's not how, I look at it like there's athletes that you could train that, you know, just their goal is to uh, have the minimal role on the team. Or like if it's a high school kid, their role was to their, their goal is to not get cut from JV. Right. So, um, you know, again, hard work pays off means that for me in the end, yeah, it could be great results, in the sport that you're participating in, it can also mean that when everything's said and done, you can look back and have no regrets. So if you put the hard work in and it didn't work out for you, you can't go back in time and be like, well, I should have done this. I should have done that. You can, you can have peace of mind that you put the hard work in, you gave everything you had and it just, you know, your best, unfortunately, wasn't uh, able to give you like the glory you were seeking or whatever. So, mm -hmm. or the the status of a particular spot on a roster, 
you know? So, but not coming in and not putting your best effort forward, that's when you'll look back and regret not working hard. So hard work pays off, whether it's, you know, again, like I, I try not to get too lifey, but again, like if you, if you set a standard of working hard in the weight room or on the field that I would imagine that that's going to bleed into your academics. That's going to bleed into down the line when you're in an office, that's going to bleed into uh, supporting your friends and family and doing things that are, are difficult and hard to, to, to take care of them. So, um, you know, the, uh, yeah, it was funny. You like said the word before and I, and now I'll give you one of my isms. So like, I'm not a big, like grind culture guy. Uh, like I feel like, um, it, to really th- put a thread in everything, I think it is counterintuitive to all the sports science information that we have that grinding is actually good for you. Uh, so I always tell people, I'm like, the only thing I want ground down is coffee beans. I don't want my athletes ground down. I want them to feel like, you know, when the time comes that they're ready to run on the field with their, you know, take any cliche you want, your hair's on fire. You're ready to like, you know, uh, basically, you know, give your best. You feel great. You're energetic. You feel strong. You feel resilient. You have confidence. You're well-rested. So that's, uh, you know, again, one of those things where I, I understand why people say it. It's just like, it can be construed the wrong way especially when you talk about, again, all the sports science that we have about uh, managing the load of your athletes and, you know, making great decisions in regards to your programming and how you implement it so that you can get the best results out of your athletes. Um, You know, outside of that, I think uh, I don't really have many isms, you know? Well, I, I'll say this, Jay. Uh, not it doesn't necessarily um, have to be the the quotes or the words that you say. It's obvious to me um, your leadership by example. I, I I too am not all about the grind culture, and I the word that comes to mind for me is consistency over everything, right? Because if you can be consistent, then you won't have to grind. I think the the lack of consistency is this desire to make up for it for through a, a huge grind. I mean, 40 to 90 minutes a day, if you're on board with that, is really what uh, can lead to remarkable results in a very long term. Hard work pays off and, and staying on that thread. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up one quote that I, I one more quote that I heard uh, you say um, in another podcast, and that was, I feel like I'm being judged every day and I have to prove myself every day. And I said, wow. Like, geez, man, he's been doing this for over two decades. Why is he still saying that? And uh, that's leadership by example. And, and and I guess, why do you feel that way? Uh, well, when you say it, I'm shaking my head because I still believe that, that um, every athlete that you're working with wants to know that you're in tune with what they need and what they are, you know, why they're putting their faith and trust in you as a coach. Um, They don't really care that 
you know, what you did for this person or that person or this team or that team. Now they might, you know, think like, that's cool that he was able to do that with that person or that, you know, that person accomplished certain things. But when it really comes down to it, like every time an athlete walks through the door, they have to know that I'm most interested in them and, or like, again, with a team, with the team collectively. And then there are certain things I know I need to touch on with each individual, but um, you know, again, I just don't think anyone when they are working with a coach is sitting there thinking about the other athletes they've worked with or any accomplishments that they've had, they are totally focused on. I need this coach to be here for me so I can do my best. I need them to do their best for me. Um, so again, I do think you are constantly proving yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know, again, I think, uh, that's just always going to be, part of my mindset and part of my approach because I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't want to take for granted the fact that, you know, this athlete showed up on this particular day to uh, try to make themselves better or to get themselves prepared for the next day. And you just can't, again, take that for granted. You can't be uh, dismissive of it. You can't be give it a half-assed effort you know, you have to be, be all in for those, those people. We, we talked about it earlier, Jay, uh, how, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses are the same. When I heard you say it, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And it must be exhausting. Right. So I <laughs> guess the question I, I have for you is speaking to Jay specifically, how have you handled that harmony or balance over the years of having to prove it every day? Cause to me, that sounds like, I don't want to use the word grind, but it's it's all stress without rest. Uh, how have you been able to handle that? Uh, I mean, again, like I went, I just last night I went home. I got home uh, pretty late. Uh, my wife walks into the kitchen while I'm like unpacking some stuff. And I just look at her and I was like, doing it for the kids, baby. Got to do it for the kids. <laughs> uh, and she, she does that. She just kind of laughs because she knows like, I love what I do. Um, you know, when the day starts, I'm ready to go. When the day ends, you know, my body's like kind of goes through, uh, you know, the adrenaline dump is fast and, uh, significant, you know? So, um, but, but again, I think, you know, the, the energy that you draw from your athletes and the energy you draw from, solving the uh the little puzzles and mysteries that they give you on a daily basis um to again push them forward uh i don't think i've had you know a day in coaching where it feels like the days before the day before those experiences were exactly the same mm. so um you know again i think I do uh, put a lot of pressure on myself again, just like you said, based on the way I approach it. But um, at the same time, it's uh, it's extremely rewarding, uh, you know, and again, it's extremely rewarding to um, just have a, an athlete say thank you 
at the end of the day or give you a fist bump or shoot you texts, you know? So, um, but again, I think if, if you aren't being critical of yourself, it's very difficult to be critical of, of others. I heard it said recently, Jay, that, um, in the last 20 to 30 years of psychology research, they're finding that, uh, there's no difference between, uh, thinking about yourself and, and feeling miserable. There's no difference between thinking about yourself and feeling miserable. And what I hear in your answer there is that Jay Dyer loses, loses himself in the service of others. And that brings you a tremendous amount of joy. And I think uh, bringing Robert Greene's book on mastery into this, he says, you will never reach a level of mastery if your work brings you no joy, right? And it's, it's evident that you've gone this far in terms of sustained longevity of greatness because of it bringing you joy. And I thought about that, that adrenaline dump that you do at the end of the day, and you much rather be physically exhausted from a rewarding profession than spiritually, mentally, or emotionally exhausted from a work that brings you no joy. Um, and, and, I think that allows you to, to bring that energy every day, that joy, that love, that esoteric sort of energy that you always have. I, had, I have to ask you this because I mentioned it in the introduction, the impeccable reputation you have in the lacrosse world and at USA uh, Lacrosse headquarters. It's just remarkable. You're a relationship builder, right? I don't think that relationship, that reputation um, especially in a service-based industry where your reputation is everything that's super important. So I would just ask you flat out, how do you connect with people and players so well? Uh, I mean, when I'm, when I'm connecting with the players, I just, I feel like I'm just being authentic. I'm not trying to uh, be somebody I'm not. So I'll say some goofy stuff or ask, a, ask them, you know, like a, a weird question or something like um, it's just, the, the only way to, I feel like to connect with them is to actually like, you have to put yourself out there and, you know, try to start the conversation. Um, because again, I think, uh, I, I don't know again, where this comes from, but a lot of the athletes that I've worked with, uh, when it's, they're comfortable with me, they're like, you don't understand. Like when, you first walk like out, you know, or whatever for tryouts or practice or whatever, like, and no, and, and I didn't know you, like you have this very intimidating look on your face and I'm like, yeah, but I'm just like, so it's just like, I'm that's, that's the face I was born with. Right. Like, I feel like, uh, I'm not like a big, like show up at a place with a huge smile on my face and, you know, get you know the clap started or anything like that i'm more of like low-key like here we go um i think i'm the the antithesis of like some of the stuff you see online where their strength coaches getting two by fours broken across their back and stuff like that i'm more like you know we're gonna try to keep this level um you know again i don't think when you are a coach that your athletes should feel like they're on a roller coaster. I think they should feel like they're getting somebody that's, you know, relatively steady. So if you have to emphasize a point that when you do have to, whether it's raise your voice or become more demonstrative, that 
there's an effect to that. So if you're always, mm. uh, I mean, I drink a lot of coffee, but I, if you're always acting like you're on, you know, uh, a caffeine high and out of control, I think that makes you less approachable. Right. If you have a little more settling de demeanor and, you know, again, I think, uh, like I said, you're just basically trying to start conversation. You are pretty level and even keeled. I think it's much easier for an athlete to reciprocate a response or, to, you know, just laugh at your stupid question or laugh at your stupid statement or be completely thrown off by a song that you have, uh, you know, that you're playing in the weight room or whatever, you know? Um, so again, I think, uh, I, I would say um, I would classify myself as an introvert and I force myself when I'm coaching to be more of an extrovert, to be the person that initiates the, uh, the conversation and try to initiate the connection. Uh, you know, if I know what school they're at or somebody else that's on their team or whatever, um, just making, you know, some type of, question or comment or whatever to see if I can get things started. Leading with communication. I, I, I love that. And I didn't even ask you about mental performance training or anything like that. And you brought up level, even keel steady. And I, I you're just getting me all excited over here. Um, but I really, what I take away from your answer is the asking questions and, and leading with communication right away to make sure you make that connection. Um, where Doc Gilbert, the man I brought up earlier, helps people with their public speaking he says you shouldn't be serious serious and you shouldn't be fun fun you should be serious fun and you show up with that focused mentality right i was a guy who my my football coach in high school said glissini you can smile every now and then right but i just showed up really really focused um but still relaxed and i think what i've noticed by being around you um with the team usa training work is you are making jokes along the way too and it's important to know that you can't have muscle tension when you're laughing, right? That's why there's no laughing that should be happening in the weight room because when you're playing laughter, you can't have muscle tension. And, you know, uh, it really is there is something behind that uh, world peace could come from more comedians, right? And it, because people can't have their fists up and be laughing at the same time, and I think it takes that, that back and forth um, of serious and fun. And I guess the last point that I want to make is – the difference between special and important for, for athletes that might be listening. And the, the work that we do every day is, is not special. It's important. If you want roller coasters, go to six flags, right? What we do yesterday is what we're going to do today, which we're going to do tomorrow. And then sometimes it's going to be uh, in championship games. And I think you can sync to your levels of training if it's important, uh, not special. I do want to ask you a little bit about the roller coaster though, of Jay Dyer's life. Um, you, you've been in the career for a very long time. Um, you've, you've, you've seen it uh, diagnostically with a lot of great athletes, the highs and lows of winning and losing. Um, could I ask you about the highlight and low light, uh, anything that really comes to mind and sticks out in your story uh, and strength conditioning? Uh, wow. I mean, there's a lot of things that um, are, when you look at it on paper, people would say, well, that must've been a highlight. Um, I think from my time with USA, it's actually more about the time I get to spend with the athletes 
and the coaches and the support staff. Um, I just, this morning I started writing down all the coaches that I've been fortunate enough to be on a staff with. And, uh, it's a little bit overwhelming, uh, from a standpoint of the times that I spend with all those people. I try to pull something from their coaching and how they approach, uh, athletes and how they approach team concepts and, you know, their ability to be authentic in their personalities. And, um, you know, again, I think it's just a great, uh, you're always learning. So it's been such a great teaching point for me in regards to just being able, again, just like the strength and conditioning field, these amazing coaches, uh, that all coach at world-class universities, um, being able to, to see what they do, uh, and be able to steal some of those concepts and some of those ideas and those approaches, uh, that's made me a better coach. And then that does, that doesn't even touch the fact that the athletes that are on the team, there's such a significant number of those people that are coaches. So you get to have separate conversations with them about coaching while they're just in their athlete role. Um, mm. you know, so, um, those are, you know, again, uh, I think that's more of the highlights, uh, from a standpoint of, um, you know, watching, watching athletes celebrate their accomplishments is an incredible, uh, highlight. Um, I can't remember the last time. Uh, or if I ever, I don't think I have, I don't think I've ever like run on the field, uh, after a championship, I think I've just stood on the sideline and watched the ensuing joy and mm. kind of mayhem and, and everything and watch those teammates, um, you know, really be able to express their love for each other. Uh, it's pretty amazing to watch. Um, so mm. Those are definitely highlights. Um, I would say that uh, my wife and my kids continuing to support me after all this time with uh, all the crazy goals that I have for myself and things that I want to do. Uh, that's a massive highlight. Um, Lowe's, again, it's like one of those things where it's like when you come up short, you know, uh, so you, you honestly, like if, if you want to consider yourself a part of the puzzle, when, uh, when good things happen, you have to consider yourself part of the puzzle when bad things happen. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, seeing teams, uh, lose games, lose championships, um, seeing athletes go down with significant injuries. That's all stuff that sticks with you. So mm -hmm. Perfect. I, I mean, I, I love the whole stealing and emulating approaches. Uh, what I wrote down, I think I've shared it really early on in my podcast, uh, was the book Getting to Us by Seth Davis. The Seth Davis uh, had the chance to sit down with great coaches, introverted, extroverted. Um, I actually brought it up. I met um, 
Jim Boheim in person at Syracuse basketball just the other week. Um, and I said, I read about you and get into us. And, you know, he has an interesting story, much more introverted guy, but every coach has their own temperament and philosophy and story that they bring to be authentic. And the main um, ethos of that book of getting to us is every coach should be peak P E A K for persistent, empathetic, authentic, and knowledgeable. Right. And and if you really want an athlete to listen to you, you better have all four. It doesn't matter what personality you have, but you better have those four things. And uh, that's really what I took away because it's, a, it's a, the main reason I love this podcast is because I get to sit down with people who are extremely knowledgeable, extremely authentic, have attained such a high summit of success and are yet looking back and say, you know, it's because of Dan Roth. It's because of this. Co- I mean, I sit down. Like, why is Jay Dyer writing down a list of coaches that he worked with? And he's becoming overwhelmed. I mean, that that goes to show the character that you have. So in the, working with all those athletes, I wanted to ask you a quick hitter, which is, and this is going to be hard for you, um, who is or was the hardest working athlete you've ever trained and why? Wow. I don't know if I'm allowed to answer that question. <laughs> I'll um, move on if that's all right, if you want me to. I mean, it's, uh, there's definitely athletes that are more, uh, you know, they're, they're more well-known and more visual and, uh, have huge followings. And, and obviously the, those athletes, um, I, that I worked with that are in those positions got there through hard work. Um, but again, it's, uh, I'm going to get killed for this no matter what, if I don't answer it, uh, you know, if I do answer it, um, but, uh, again, I think there's, um, uh, put it this way. There's definitely been some athletes that have had to tolerate me for much longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so it's, I, I think that's hard enough, you know, dealing with all the, the bad jokes and the passive aggressive comments during a workout or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I can really answer that question. Uh because again, we'll I think there. there's we'll... there's going to be uh, there's going to be like a pretty uh it's a pretty interesting race to the finish line uh to to kind of siphon all that out. Um I will say to put a bow on the Dan Ross uh story uh, one of the cooler things was I just, I, Stan Ross was on the staff for the, uh, U 21 team. That's Dan's son, uh, wow. that went to Ireland and I just never brought it up to Stan. It was kind of my weird thing of, I wonder how long this is going to take for him <laughs> to realize, <laughs> to realize that I know his dad and his dad knows me. Uh, so we were, um, getting ready to go to Sammy's for our last uh, meal here in the United States before we got on the plane for Ireland. And we are waiting for the the bus to come back uh, to pick us up. And Stan was like, so he's like, I'm talking to my dad the other day. And oh, he's saying, you know, uh, give me the rundown again of who the staff is. And he says, yeah, he's like, and uh, Jay Dyer's the strength and conditioning coach. And he said, my dad was like, I know Jay Dyer. He's like, you know, he's like, 
uh, he interned with me and like Stan was just like, how come you never said anything? And I was just like, uh, you know, I just wanted to see how long it was going to take <laughs> for everyone to put the pieces together. I was like, this is much better. You know, now that you know me a little bit better, that you're kind of like taken aback by the idea that your dad was so influential in, you know, my career. As opposed to me just walking up to him the first day I met him and being like, hey, Stan, your your dad's like, you know, a huge part of my my career. He gave me an intern. And he would have just been like, yeah, like, you know, again, like that's not that's kind of like, oh, cool, you know, but right. spending yeah. enough time with him and he and I creating like our own relationship. And then that piece coming out, that's was. I felt it was like a much cooler experience. <laughs> I mean, Jay, Jay, I love the uh, relationship you have with your, with your ego, right? You're not like puffing chest. It's not about you. And I think that that really resonates. I already knew that about you, but it's coming through clearly in, in our, our, our time here together too. So, I mean, we're coming to the finish line here. Um, I love that you brought Dan Ross back up because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what's the same and what's different about Jay Dyer? And I, I, what I would turn it into is, uh, more of asking you to give advice to a young strength coach or somebody starting out in, in their career um, because uh, inside of that answer of what you know now that you wish you knew when you were walking through that, that door with uh, Dan Ross for the very first time. So, I mean, again, like I had a month after I graduated, I had passed my uh, certification through NSCA and uh, I had my college degree I'm a certified strength coach. I'm young. I know it all. Like, this is not that hard, right? Like, pick stuff up, put it down. How hard can this be, right? Like, so mm -hmm. um, for young strength coaches, they probably get so sick of hearing this from, like, uh, the grizzled vets. But having an understanding of, like, that what you know at this moment is – you know, I'll use one of my, my favorite analogies. You're swimming in the baby pool right now. You, you haven't even made it to the diving well, right? Like you, you have to just keep looking for information, searching out, you know, the information from people that are a lot more experienced than you, as much as it may pain you to admit, they're probably a lot smarter than you, uh, because of that experience. And just always looking for information that excites you, training methods that excite you, and then, you know, not necessarily putting them, implementing them the minute you read about it, but taking the time to, you know, put those into practice with yourself. Um, I feel like that was a big part of, of my development was I never asked my athletes to do anything that I hadn't done. And, mm -hmm. and I didn't just do it one time, right? Like I, I went through, I, I programmed it for myself and I did these things to see, you know, I, again, the results I get may not be what those athletes get, but I had to know what the struggle was of how you're learning it, how it feels, you know, like how quickly you might pick something up or how you might struggle with it. And it takes a lot of reps, more reps than you ever thought to be able to grasp the concept. Because when an athlete starts struggling with something, 
you have to be able to empathize with that struggle, right? Like you, you have to say, oh, I had that problem when I tried to learn or like, oh, this athlete that I worked with last year had the same issue and this is how we solved it. Let's try that and see if that works for you. Um, because again, like I think I am still uh, interacting with people personally and also uh, consuming uh, information on a daily basis where you're, it still makes you kind of tilt your head going, oh, I wonder if that works. I wonder how good that is, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the things that have changed for me is um, I, I definitely uh, don't ever think I'm the, the smartest strength coach on the planet. And most of the time when you graduate college, you're thinking like, you know, I got this. I can't wait to get my job. I can't wait to get my job in the NFL. They're going to be knocking down my door. Right. So, right. Um, right. you know, and, and again, just, I, I think you're doing your athletes a disservice and you're doing yourself a disservice. If you're not always looking for something, or if you see something asking questions about it or trying it yourself uh, and seeing how that could, you, you might run into one athlete in your entire career where this one particular thing is exactly what they need. And you better know mm. how to implement it, how to do it, how to coach it. Um, you know, so again, I, I, I don't think anyone in this industry is is a finished product. I, I love it, especially the personal experience, you know, understanding the struggle so that you can teach it better uh, to others. And uh, I'm in full agreement. I think it goes back to what we were talking about, um, about humility uh, being what I do not know is more important than what I do know. And I like this uh, concept that you shared right there at the end that if there's one strategy or, or exercise or technique you can give to an athlete that is the unlock for them, right? It might be the one key that opens up the castle for them. And that's why the constant learning should be because you're not all you could be, but also you don't know everything that that athlete might need um, specifically for them. Um, to take us home, Jay, what I would say is this this podcast, Grateful and Full of Greatness, is all about um, those who are both gratitude and, and and great. You've trained so many great athletes. What do they all have in common? Mm. Also took, I knew you weren't going to let that one slip. So I took some notes down for that. Uh, I do. I mean, again, I think that for most of the athletes, the, the great ones that um, they're definitely authentic people because uh, if they're not being authentic while you're training with them, it's going to be very difficult to uh, connect with them. It's going to be very difficult to know when they're having a good day or when they're having a bad day or, you know, when something's on your mind, you know, I mean, my, I have athletes that do that to me. I like walk into the weight room and what's wrong. What, what do you mean? What's wrong? They're like, I can tell by the look on your face. What are you thinking about? What's wrong? And like, mm. I, I have to tell them because they're going to tell me, like, if I do that to them, they have to tell me. So I know what's going on. Right. Um, mm. and it could be something extremely minor, or it could be something that you're like, you know, I need to say this out loud so I can stop thinking about it so I can focus on you. Right. Um, I think they all better have 
uh, a sense of humor, uh, you know, because again, you are going to, uh, we're probably going to have some back and forths, you know, uh, going to kind of see what kind of chops you have. Um, mm. and you know, again, like if you can't sit there and be self-deprecating, it's going to be really hard to, uh, constantly achieve. Like if you can't right. make fun of yourself every once in a while. Right. Fascinating. So, Love that one. Um, I mean, intensity. And again, I, I don't think that means rah-rah intensity. I think it just means that intensity comes from effort, uh, and intensity again with your focus. So you can be, you know, pretty quiet or introverted or mild and, but your effort, you know, matches the intensity of what, of what's expected, you know, for that particular, mm. you know, exercise or drill or whatever. Uh, they definitely Perfect. will speak uh, when it's necessary. Right. So it's, you know, they're, they don't uh, hold back, you know, there has to be open communication. So just, you know, holding something in or, or thinking like, should I say this or should I not? No, you should definitely say it. So, uh, and then you, you know, I think they all take inspiration from and a pre and have appreciation of other people that play their sport and the skill sets that they have and what they can do that maybe that that your athlete can't. They have an appreciation for it, but it doesn't mean that they aren't going to try to figure out if they can acquire that skill. So mm -hmm. I don't think you can sit there and, and be a great athlete and not look at other athletes that are competing at the level you compete at and not have an appreciation for something that they do. That's probably a little bit better than what you do. Um, so Absol again, I absolutely. I can see that a lot with, with USA. Like I, I think it's, again, when you sit back and watch and you watch those athletes teach each other things or somebody makes a particular play or a pass or whatever, or a move and the sideline during like a practice goes nuts. You know, it's just like they are, you are in the most competitive environment you can be in. You're all competing for something that you all want and have trained hard for. But at the same time, like flashback and you become like a, a 12 year old kid watching, you know, a lacrosse game where you're just hooting and hollering and like, Oh my God, I can't believe they just did that. Or, you know, that was so sick or so slick, you know, it's just like, they definitely, have appreciation for the craft, uh, you know, and the people yeah. that are out there doing it at that level. I, I love that last point, right? Because I certainly do. I, I can think about uh, short defensive midfielders throughout the league where it's their one head wrap, 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 wrap check, how they get their hands on, how they do the V hold, right? I just have such a admiration for it. And I think uh, the studying of whatever it is you're looking to be doing uh, that, that, that never ends. And I love how you said that two, one or two answers ago that we're all unfinished products. And I couldn't agree more with that statement. Is there any question that I could have asked you that you wish I did? And I didn't. 
yeah, I mean, again, I just, I think, um, you know, I got the opportunity to, uh, you know, highlight my wife and my kids and, uh, you know, my mentors, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, again, one person that I didn't get to name that's a mentor is, is, uh, Mark Shropshire. He's another guy that when I was young, uh, took a chance on a kid that was hard headed and opinionated and probably a massive pain in his ass. Uh, but found a way to kind of put some, uh, guardrails in and, mm. and provide some direction. And, you know, again, I think, uh, the challenge there that's laid down of, you know, why don't you read this book? <laughs> you know, mm. uh, yeah. let's, let's expand your, your knowledge points here. Right. And like, let's, let's challenge each other to, to become more educated and, you know, to expand, you know, the library of, of knowledge and ask each other questions and bounce things off each other and write good programs and write bad programs and, you know, teach each other how to be better strength coaches. So, so he was a, a huge part of that. Um, you know, so again, I, I think, uh, from a, from a career standpoint, that's influential. And then, you know, again, from the work ethic thing, just, you know, emulating my mom, my grandfather, uh, you know, some of the people that I worked for doing, uh, you know, manual labor and stuff like that. Again, just, uh, kind of teaching me how to enjoy what can be like, a you know, kind of a, a draining job sometimes. And, you know, again, just uh, taking pride in your work and your effort and showing up ready to go. It's obvious about you, Jay. And just like Shopshire said to you, the guardrails and the, and the direction, I think that's what our podcast here uh, did for many people listening. And I'm sure there's going to be people that are upset that we didn't talk about sets and reps and, and, and get really <laughs> into the training program. Uh, but if people want to learn uh, more about what you're doing or contact you, uh, where could they go? Uh, so they could send me like a DM on Instagram, uh, just coach Jay Dyer. Uh, they could do the same thing on, I guess you're supposed to call it X now. Right. So if they want to try and <laughs> yeah. find me there, um, they could, yeah, we'll keep it at that. And then if somebody actually DMs me, I'll give them like an email contact or whatever. And we can take it right. from there. Great. Jay, thanks for your authenticity, your sense of humor. Uh, I, I appreciate it. And I had a great time today. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to do this.